0: Turn in God's word to the book of Acts as we continue in our series, Unstoppable. Uh, you can also grab that sermon insert page in your bulletin to follow along. If you don't know who I am, my name is uh, Tim Bedall, and I have the great privilege of serving this church and these great people as a lead pastor. And we've been in this series that we've entitled Unstoppable, looking at uh, the last half of the book of Acts, which chronicles uh, the life and times of the early church. And we've been following in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, as he goes about uh, being called by God uh, to share the good news of Jesus Christ uh, with a lost world. And uh, we can look at Paul and his example, and really quickly, uh, we can say, you know what? Paul has incredible gifts and incredible abilities, and he was called by God in such a significant and special way. Uh, He is one of a kind. And yes, that is absolutely true, and why we're dedicating so much time to this faithful servant who obeyed God and followed Jesus Christ in the good times and in the bad. But I want us to be reminded that just as Paul was living out his calling, we all need to recognize this morning that God has called us. He's called us in our uh, places where we live and where we work and where we uh, do life. He's called us to be salt and light into a lost world. And he may not be calling us into the exact same experiences, maybe not having to deal with all the same hardships, maybe not experiencing all of the uh, the amazing things that God did through Paul. And you may say, you know what, my life's a little more ordinary. And yet I want to remind you this morning as we look at another very event eventful a text before us with lots of different things going on that there are great applications for us as we look to the Apostle Paul and how he modeled living out an unstoppable faith in Jesus Christ how we are called in 2019 to live that kind of unstoppable life right where we're at with the personality that God has given us with the gifts that he has allowed us to have he wants to use us in powerful ways to not only be changed ourselves, but to change the world around us. This morning, we're going to be in Acts uh, 21 and 22, and we've got a big passage of Scripture uh, to go over today. If you don't uh, have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible and the Pew Rack in front of you, and you can find our passage this morning on page 931, page 931, and I'm going to get to the text as I work through uh, the message this morning, uh, but just to give you some context of what is transpiring. Paul has been uh, traveling throughout Asia Minor and Macedonia, which is modern-day Turkey and Syria, and he has been uh, building and planting churches by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and then discipling Christians uh, to be the salt and light in the world. And He's gone about doing this over his last three missionary journeys, uh, but he, in the last of his journeys, feels compelled by God and led by the Spirit of God to go to Jerusalem, the holy city of God, and, and he is looking forward to it. Now, there's two reasons. Reasons why he wants to go. He wants to see his friends and those that he has come to love in Jerusalem. But he's also brought a gift uh, of money uh, to a group of Jerusalem Christians who were in need because of a famine. And he has collected money amongst all the Gentile churches that he had established. He had brought money and looked forward to uh, delivering that. And we talked last week about that moment when he delivers it. And it doesn't go as he probably imagined it would. James and the elders of the church in Jerusalem tell that there's some problems in Jerusalem uh, with the people with regards to Paul. They have begun to hear stories that Paul has said to be a follower of Jesus Christ means you can really just throw out the Old Testament altogether. You don't need to live according to the laws of Moses and all of that. And he had become an adversary to these Jewish Christians. Paul doesn't agree, but Paul makes a decision that I think was good for the church and good for the mission of God. He hears how the Jerusalem elders believe is the best way to redeem this situation. They say there's four guys who are about to do a Nazarite vow, and oath, and they're going to go to the temple. We want you to join them and go to the temple, and we want you to get your hair cut and refrain from any kind of things that Nazarites wouldn't be a part of, and for a period Period of seven to ten days we want you to go to the temple we want you to pay the bill for these guys and in doing so it will show that you're not against the Old Testament you're not against the law of Moses and and everything will be okay and everything will work out just fine and so Paul says okay I'll do it not because I think I need to not because I want to but because the cause of Jesus Christ is way more important than my personal preferences and my personal desires which is a invaluable lesson for us to learn in the church at times we will be called to do things at times We'll be asked to go above and beyond for the sake of a relationship for the sake of the unity of the church And it is altogether important for us to see even men like the Apostle Paul who was willing to get low so that God might allow unity and growth to take place of the weaker brothers around him and so that's what he does and and we pick up and just so you know where, where we're at in verse twenty seven it says when the seven days were almost complete the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him here Paul has done what uh, he was supposed to do he has taken one for the team and what does he get he doesn't get all kinds of acclaims of Paul you're the greatest He gets more and more trouble. Nowhere do we see in the text James and the Jerusalem elders around to minister to him. Paul is all by himself. And a great reminder this morning, as we do things for the Lord, sometimes the best things we do for the Lord and His kingdom will go with silence from the people of God, and it will bring great hurt and pain from the enemies of God. And so just because you do the right thing, just because you bend over backwards, doesn't mean people are going to throw a parade for you. Paul learns very quickly that doing the hard things sometimes gets you more hard things. And what transpires is a mob begins to drag Paul around and they want to kill him, we're going to learn in the text. But then the Romans who are overseeing and and governing the area of Jerusalem, they get involved. They know that they can't have these mobs and these riots going. There's a rule of law. And so a a tribune, a a leader in the Roman uh, army, comes to the aid of Paul by bringing order to the chaos that's taking place. And during the time where Paul is being arrested, So he can be questioned. There's all kinds of stories about who Paul is and we're going to talk about that in a couple moments but chaos ensues the Romans get a handle on what's going on with regards to the mob and Paul is taken into custody and as he's being taken into custody he's been beaten he's been dragged around by a mob and as he's being handcuffed and taken by the roman soldiers as we'll learn a roman citizen which was a big no-no in that day paul asks the arresting officer if he can speak now you would imagine that when he speaks he's going to denounce the mob that he's going to call out the government what kind of government would allow one of its soldiers or one of its citizens to be treated this way But what we're going to learn in chapter 22 is that Paul gets an opportunity to speak. And he doesn't use it for personal gain. He doesn't use it for personal vengeance. What he does is he uses it to proclaim his story of how he met Jesus after being a sinner. And how Jesus changed his life and what Jesus had called him to do since his conversion. And what we're going to learn this morning is a couple important truths. And I'm going to say they are very practical truths for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because as we watch Paul model out living in a very difficult time, facing a mob, we learn some invaluable truths of how we are called to live, and in turn how we are called to share our story about how Christ has changed us and made us whole again. With that, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for a moment as we ask God's blessing in our time, we'll jump right into the text this morning. Father God, we come before you, and we thank you that we can be gathered in this place. We thank you for our worship team and leading us to remind us of great truths about who you are and about what you've done for us and, and how in turn now we get to live for you. Lord, I pray that as... We've sung these songs and as we've heard prayers prayed that our hearts would be open and our minds would be receptive to what you Have to share with us this morning Thank you for this uh, event that takes place outside of the temple Thank you for allowing difficult times in Paul's life so that we can learn how we are to respond in a world that not uh, Not much different than the world that Paul lived in would be so aggressively hostile to the cause of Christ and to our sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. So teach us this morning how to live upright and holy lives in a world that seems at times totally against you and your word. We thank you for your word and what's going to do in our lives this morning. We ask your blessing on it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, every once in a while, I come across a quote or a saying that uh, begins to resonate in my heart. And a couple weeks ago, I came across this quote uh, that I want to share with you this morning. It's by a guy named Bob Goff, and he puts it this way. The canvas doesn't tell the artist what to paint. We don't need to call the shots. We just need to receive the cover colors. The canvas doesn't tell the artist what to paint. We don't need to call the shots. We just need to receive the colors. I want you to notice that the A in artist is capitalized. And this is referring to God. God is the artist. And and God is the one who gets to call the shots. And God is the one who's doing the work. And, And what are we in our Christian walk? We are the canvas. We are the blank canvas that God has saved, that God has brought into uh, a new relationship with Him for the very purpose of allowing Him to do something in our life. Now here's the problem. For many of us, we don't know our role as believers. For many of us, we think that we are the artist. That our lives are the canvas and we are the artists and we will go about uh, uh, making the picture or painting the painting that we want to paint. It's about me. It's about the colors I choose. It's about the landscape that I want to be revealed on the canvas and we miss it. We are the empty canvas. We are the blank slates. We are the ones who are re- to receive the colors and quite frankly, There are canvases among us today that don't like, at times, the colors that God uses, amen? We don't like the landscapes or the settings or the pictures that God puts on our canvas. If I was just really honest with you this week, I I didn't like the painting God painted on my canvas this week. I didn't like the things that I needed to address this week as a pastor and, and as a Christian. And I can say, God, I don't want that. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to pursue my own painting because what you're painting on the canvas isn't something I like. And the ebb and flow of the Christian life is how much we're going to allow God to be the painter. Now, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, and he uses a different metaphor. Bob uses the artist and the canvas. Paul uses the potter and clay. And he says clay, can you tell the potter what to make out of you? No We are clay in the potter's hands And we're going to be molded and shaped into whatever vessel God wants to make of us and it is so important for us as Christians to recognize what Paul already knew Because what Paul is going to accomplish in a very difficult time in our text only is possible when he recognizes that he's not the one calling the shots, that his job is to be obedient and true to what God is doing in his life. And how important is that for us? We need some blank canvases in the hands of God the artist when it comes to our Christian walk, when it comes to our marriages. We need to be blank canvases when it comes to us parenting our children. We need to be blank canvases when it involves our involvement at church. We need to be blank canvases ready to do what God wants to do in our lives when it comes to our work relationships and our job promotions. And what we do in the community and how we interact with people. We need to be open and blank canvases for God to do what He will do. And if God chooses to bring blessing and great things out of it, we praise God. And if God begins to paint a difficult, hard picture for our lives, then we praise God. And if God allows a mob to take us and drag us into the streets and, and call us all kinds of slanderous things and bring all kinds of uh, untrue accusations against us, then we need to praise God. And I will tell you, that is really, really easy to preach. And it's hard to live. And that's why I think Luke writes this down. I think that's why as Luke, an eyewitness to what Paul is doing, must have stood in awe and said, how does this guy do it? How does this guy do what he would say at the end of his life, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm being spent by one who is pouring me out. I've given my life to God and now God is using it and it's a very, very scary thing to say to the Lord. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do, God, no matter the circumstances. That's what Bob Goff is trying to get at. God is the artist, and we are a canvas. Are we ready to allow God to work and to change in our lives? Or are we going to fight Him for the brushes? Are we going to fight Him over the palette of the colors that are going to be used? The only way we will do what God wants us to do, the only way we will find true blessing and purpose in life is if we allow God To have his rightful place. And if we will know our role. Well notice what knowing his role allowed Paul to do. Notice first of all this morning that it allowed him to impact society. It allowed him to impact society. Let's look at verses 27 through 40. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Tromphimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed, that's an important word there, they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him into the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Let's stop there. So Paul goes and he fulfills his duty. And as the duty is, is being completed, some people see him and assume some things. Now scholars believe that uh, these men from, or these Jews from Asia are from uh, Ephesus. The town that Paul had spent so much time in, 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 in modern day uh, Turkey. And, and, and so he had spent time in Ephesus and they had followed him down. And they had followed him down to Jerusalem. And the reason why they know that Paul is there is they've seen him. And they assume something about him. Nowhere in the text does it tell us that Paul had done it. In fact, we're going to learn that uh, he had been with the Jewish individuals who were doing their days of purification. That's who he's with. Now they say, wait, we see Trophimus. And Trophimus was from Ephesus. And they said he must have taken him into the temple as well, but there's no proof with regards to it. And as a result, a mob breaks out. And they begin to go headlong into... Hurting Paul in any way they can there are four things that I want you to see with regards to how we can impact society this morning You see these guys are really ticked off That Paul might do Such a thing even though he hasn't done it and I want you to notice a couple things with regards to it truths that we can learn that will change our communities that will change our workplaces, that will change our homes, that we need to be so very careful of. Number one, we need to be people who are problem solvers, not problem makers. We need to be problem solvers, not problem starters, if you will, or problem makers. Our text opens up on the heels of Paul doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And more trouble comes Paul's way. The word there that is used of what these men do is it says that they see Paul in the temple and they stirred up the whole crowd. Three times we're going to see that word stirred uh, in Luke's writings and anytime as I've told you before you see a similar word in a text over and over and over again We need to stop and say what's going on here? Well, these men are stirring up a crowd the definition of stirred literally means to agitate to to grab and to shake in order to create chaos and conflicts Could that be said of you this morning? Are you like the mob? These men who are stirring everybody up? Do you get some morbid excitement out of seeing others fight? And we know why these people hated Paul. They were uh, zealous Jews who did not like what Paul was preaching, that, that Christ was the fulfillment of the law of Moses, that Christ was the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament prophets were talking about. But these guys don't bring their issues to Paul. They want Paul dead. They want him killed. And what they go about doing is trying to find ways to get others to do their bidding. And so they stir up, they agitate, they go around shaking people, and then telling those people, look, it's Paul's fault. It's Paul's problem he's the one that is causing all of these issues growing up I I grew up in a a family of three boys. I was the middle son My brother Chris was older and my brother Joel is is just a uh, just a year younger than me And my brother used to bring his friends around and, and his friends loved to agitate me and my younger brother and what they enjoyed and they were both only children my brother's two friends And they didn't have the dynamics of sibling issues and all of that. And so they would come and live the life of a family at our house. And what they would do is they would stir up trouble between my brother, my younger brother and I. And they would sit back and they would laugh. And what they would do is, hey, did you hear what your brother did? They would do things and then accuse my brother that it was him that had done them. And they would sit back and they would laugh. Oh, this is great and this is fun. And, And it was stupid. And it caused great harm to me and my brother, Joel. And my brother Chris would love it. Hey, get your two younger brothers all fired up about things, and they would sit back and enjoy it. And here's the problem. There are far too many Christians, I will say there are far too many of us here today, who get that kind of enjoyment out of watching people fight. In our families, with our children, like to see it in the workplace, i like to see it in the community. And what we are going to learn today is that it's altogether unfitting for a child of God to be a problem uh, starter, not a problem solver. In fact, uh, of the seven things that are detestable to God, we are told in, in the scriptures, in the book of, of Proverbs, that uh, there are detestable things before God, and one of them is one who seeks to destroy community by stirring up trouble. Can that be said of you this morning? Notice the second thing that we see. If we're going to impact society, we can't be a problem starter. We need to be problem solvers. Notice it involves speaking the truth, not speculating. The society right now that Paul was a part of was a mob society. And they were mad from what they thought Paul had done. Speculation. Innuendo. It seems that all kinds of falsehoods were running around. In fact, later in the text, we're going to see when the tribune comes, the Roman soldier and the Roman guard comes to address the crowd. They're not even sure what to make of the story. In fact, when the Roman tribune talks to Paul later in the text, he thinks that Paul is this Egyptian terrorist of the group, the assassins. And Paul's like, no, that's that's not me. Where did you get that? Well, he got it from the crowd. Because there were all kinds of rumors, all kinds of gossip about who Paul was. And none of it was true. And yet it seemed to rule the day. And we sit there and say, what an uncivilized generation of people. That they would allow, innuendo, that they would allow speculation to rule the day. That a mob of people would seek harm of another individual based on baseless truths or rumors. And we sit there and we look from our 21st century lives and we say, what a bunch of Neanderthals. And then we go to social media And we see a story. We don't know if it's true or not But it fits the narrative that we're looking for so let's go with it It says things about the politician. We don't like so let's run with it It works within our agenda, so let's share it and we don't know we haven't checked it We haven't made sure that there's veracity to it. It's okay. It doesn't matter. It's just news. So let's get it out there As I was preparing for this message Yesterday I am not big in the social media world. I've got it and I enjoy it But I involved myself in my first uh, Tweet storm. I had to look that up to make sure I was saying it right And it involved a friend of mine. I have a friend who pastors a large church in Nashville, Tennessee. And I've come to know him. And while we live far apart, I enjoy him greatly and love seeing what God is doing. And he is a wonderful godly man who is pastoring a wonderful church and doing great things for the Lord. And I was surprised that on my Twitter feed that he was trending. Usually it's the president trending, usually it's a nationwide thing trending, and he was trending, and I was kind of surprised what in the world happened to my friend, what was going on. And then I found out, my friend, as I learned, and I knew because he had texted me earlier in the day that he was in the Chicagoland area, and he was preaching at a church going through horrific issues and struggles right now. And he had been asked by an outside party to preach at the church because they've got so many issues going on. They needed an outside voice. And he said, okay, I'll serve in this way. If if that's what you're asking me to do, I'll come and I'll, I'll preach the Word of God. And he's preaching probably right now. And... The Twitter storm had erupted, and what people had done is had begun to speak all kinds of ill things about him. Gossip and slander about a man they had never met, who I know to be a good and godly man, because he was being associated with a problem that these people had real issue with. And that's fine, they have issue with it, but they had taken a man who has no involvement in the situation, and they demagogued him, and the most horrific things were being articulated. And I'm like, I cannot stand idly by and watch a good man man be destroyed and yet we do that all the time brothers and sisters we speculate about what is true we assume the worst of people and the Bible says we need to believe all things hope all things Now, is there times where we have to say hard things? Yeah, but when you're going to speak hard things, and this week I had to speak some hard things, and I had to make sure that what I was articulating wasn't speculation, but it was truth. And so if you're going to open your mouth, make sure what you're saying is true, whether you know the person, whether it's a news feed in your social media account, that what you say is true, just because you pass on a lie and didn't say it yourself, does not not make you a liar yourself? We need to know what we're saying is true. The Bible says very quickly to us that we are to put off all falsehoods. Paul is going to endure great hardship and struggle amidst this mob because falsehoods arise. Good men and women fall because of falsehoods. And we need to be careful that we speak the truth instead of speculating. Who are you speculating about right now? Is it a person in your neighborhood that you speculate their motives? Is it your boss or a fellow employee? Is it a family member? Whoever it is, speak truth to it. Know the truth because the Bible says when we know the truth, that the truth will set us free. Speculation puts us into bondage. We have to speak the truth, not speculate. Notice as the mob goes on and they are ready to kill him verse 31 as they were seeking to kill him Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. This is not a small gathering all of Jerusalem Was in an uproar this phrase is used by Luke at the time of Jesus triumphant entry on Palm Sunday That Jesus's entrance into the city of Jerusalem had All of Jerusalem up in a stir. And so Paul now finds himself in the same spot. All of Jerusalem is in confusion. Nobody knows what's true. Nobody knows what's lie. And so the the man at once took soldiers and centurions, that means hundreds of soldiers, because a centurion was a one who oversaw a hundred soldiers, and we are given the plural there, that hundreds of soldiers and their leaders run down to them, and when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. They bring some order to the chaos. And the man, as doing his job, inquires... What was going on who Paul was and what he had done some in the crowd were shouting one thing some in another speculation And as he could not learn the facts Because of the uproar he ordered that Paul be brought to the barracks And when he came to the steps He was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people following uh, followed him crying out away with him Now as Paul was being brought into barracks, let's just stop there. Luke, come on. Are you serious? That's what you're going to say? Soldiers literally have to lift him up and carry him because if they don't, the mob is going to kill him. And and what does Luke say is if everything like there, you know, they're all uh, kids going to their classroom, all in a nice single file line, shortest to tallest, moving along, that there's great order. But that's not what's going on. Because of the violence of the crowd the crowd is crying out away with him again There's this picture very similar to the mob that was yelling against Jesus crucify him kill him We want him dead get him out of our sights And so verse 37 says as Paul was being brought into the barracks. He said to the tribune May I say something to you? If it was me I wouldn't ask for permission. And the tribune says, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus. He says, I'm a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission... Paul standing on the steps motion with his hands to the people. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. In the midst of chaos, in the midst that you are going to be concerned for your life, Paul has an orderly conversation with the man who is in authority over him. And here I see such an important truth that we are to respond graciously... We are to respond graciously to authority out of respect. Now Paul has every reason to be mad at the Romans. They've allowed mob action to take place. They weren't doing their jobs. They were caught flat-footed in this. Paul, who's a Roman citizen, is now being put into the barracks. He's being arrested and held without charge, without due process. And he has every reason to be upset. His rights have been walked over, trampled upon. And how does he speak? May I say something to you, he says. The guy says, listen, are you not this Egyptian and all of that? Paul doesn't say, what are you talking about? Where are you getting your information? Are you you some moron? Come on. He doesn't say that. He answers the question. He speaks with truth, not speculation. I'm a Jew. I'm a citizen, a Roman citizen. That's going to be important later in our text next week. And notice what he says. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had been given permission. Paul recognized, while he had the upper hand, while he had the um, blessing of God... To preach and proclaim Christ, though he had done nothing wrong, he recognized that here on earth there are channels by which God has called us not only to submit to, but to, out of reverence, respect their place of authority in our lives. And so when Paul speaks to this man, he has every reason to go off on him, and he doesn't. He speaks with clarity and honesty and integrity and with great respect, graciously responding to this man and asking him for permission. And as believers, I think there's a lesson there for us to learn. Maybe your boss doesn't deserve your respect, but God's placed you under that authority. Maybe your parents don't, Deserve your respect, but God calls you teenager to honor your mother and father Maybe your husband or your wife has done some terrible things and doesn't deserve your respect But God has called us out of reverence to one another to submit to one another and to go through the proper channels That we need to to address the relational conflict that we have to speak with respect and honor Maybe you don't like what the police did When they pulled you over Christian it doesn't give you the right to be trouble Whatever the authority that God has before us Paul reminds us that we are to respond with respect How does Christians change the world around us? We're seeing it. We don't start problems. We solve problems We don't speculate. We speak the truth We don't revile or revolt against the authorities that God has placed, Romans 13 tells us. In fact, what an awesome thing that Paul doesn't just preach a great sermons in Romans 13, he lives it in Acts 21 and 22. So when he tells us to honor the king and to submit to the authorities that are before us, we know he's done it, even in the most difficult of times. Well, that leads to one final application that we can learn from this. And that is, if we're going to change society, as Christians, we need to bring calm to times of chaos. We need to be calm in times of chaos. Notice the text says, and when he had given permission, verse 40, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush... He addressed them in the Hebrew language. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I'm about to make before you. And when they heard, that is the mob, heard Paul addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. This is crazy. The same group of people that want to kill Paul, that are screaming that the soldiers have to lift up and carry out because they want to rip him limb from limb... Paul gets up because the Tribune gives him opportunity to speak and he stands up and he goes like this And they're yelling and screaming away with him kill him. We're done with him He's a blasphemer all the different things that a mob would say he raises his hand and there's a hush Why? Well, they want to hear what this guy's gonna say And then he begins to speak in their language, which I don't think they have any idea really the mob really knows who he is And now he's speaking in their native tongue, and it's got them thinking who is this guy? That's kind of a dumb statement if you would be really honest, right? We want that guy dead. Wait a minute. Who is he? I don't know who he is. Maybe we should listen to him. Maybe we've got a problem here and he begins to speak And there's a truth there that I think is so valuable for us. And again, I've said it, but there's value in it in our neighborhoods. There's value in it in our homes. There's value in it with our extended families. There's value in it within our workplaces. There's value wherever we find ourselves. Are you as a follower of Jesus Christ bringing calm to situations? Or are you adding fuel to the fire? Are you one who brings truth where there's innuendo? Are you one who brings grace where there's hatred? Are you the one who brings mercy where there's wrongdoing? Or are you one who says, let's add another log to the fire? Let's poke it to really get it piping hot. I will tell you, that Paul shows us how to endure struggles. How to endure when your reputation is being destroyed. How to deal when innuendos and all kinds of things are thrown your way. Paul doesn't get worked up. Paul doesn't become angry. Paul doesn't say, who do these people think that I am? Paul says, listen, I want to bring order to a world of chaos. And it is the job of the Christians. It is the job of the church to bring order, to not jump into every fight. We've got a very hotly debated issue going on here in, in Sugar Grove, it would seem, about a new property up north on Route 47. And I received a, a letter via email with probably what was at least 50 signatures begging me as a pastor today to speak from the pulpit about that issue. And I responded very graciously, while I think there's great value in people assembling and, and, and having feelings about their property and all that, I would want to do very similar things and be concerned about those things, that the pulpit of Village Bible Church will never be a pulpit that deals with municipal things. They're important, but they're not as important as the gospel. And while I understand that you're not happy, while I understand that you've got concerns and those are good and right, I pray that they would do so in an orderly way and use the laws of our land to the best of their abilities. But we're not going to go there because the gospel is more important. And I want to ask you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is key, is the gospel more important than your morbid curiosity in getting people riled up? Is your is the gospel more important than a than something you post on Facebook is The gospel more important than allowing division and chaos to ensue around you Or are you going to like Jesus did with the raging sea bring calm to it by speaking love and respect and honor instead of throwing more fuel on the fire We have a great opportunity to impact society just by responding the right way, as Paul did. Long first point. My next two points are even longer, so buckle up. Just kidding. So what do we do? Notice this all leads to something. It isn't just so that we can be salt and light in the world. Why would we be salt and light in the world? Well, there's a reason why we live a certain way within the community, within our world. And the reason why is so that there will be an opportunity for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. Why do we do the things that we do, Christians? Why do we live the way we do? So that they can put a a badge on our chest saying how great we are, so they can award us these great rewards for being such good citizens? No. The reason why we live the way we do, the reason why we seek to live exemplary lives in our communities and in our homes and in our workplaces and schools is so that the opportunity, when it arises... That we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Had Paul been more concerned about himself in that moment, we would not have the first 21 verses of chapter 22. Right? Because he's going to share the gospel. He's going to share how Christ has changed him. And we need to recognize... That if we are so busy worrying about ourselves and creating chaos and trouble in the world around us, we will never be ready for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens. Notice he raises his hand and there's a great hush and he addresses them in the Hebrew language. Notice what he says. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I'm now going to make before you. And when they heard him addressing him in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, now notice... He is being arrested. Notice, he is getting all kinds of accusations against him about who he is. And it says, I'm going to make a defense. I'm going to stand up for myself. And what does he do? Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Every part of our human existence wants to speak out in protection of ourselves. And we are maligned and misunderstood. Misunderstood. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, you know what? Let people think about who I am. If that gives me an opportunity to preach Christ, then so be it. And he <laughs> preaches Christ and he shares, let me tell you how Christ changed me. That's the good news. The good news that we have is not just the gospel in its, uh, theoretical form. Jesus came to save sinners. He died on the cross for their sins rose from the dead to conquer sin and death and and because of that people can be saved that's not the good news We need to personify the good news in the sense that Jesus came to save me chief sinners of all And he went to the cross for me And as he hung on the cross, God threw his sins that I, I'm sorry, my sins on him that he might pay them though he was an innocent man. He took my guilt upon himself and gave me his innocence so that I might be set free. And here's the good news. The same thing that Jesus did for me is what Jesus wants to do for you. That's good news. That's the good news that the blind man says, I was blind, but now I see. It wasn't some obscure thought that God can take care of blindness. That's not good news. The good news is that God took away my blindness and my sin. And so Paul begins to share the story. Now this story that Paul is going to share is his conversion story. We've run into the story already in Acts chapter 9 and spent a lot of time there. And so I'm not going to go through the conversion experience again because we'll run into it another time later on in Acts 26 and Acts 27. Three times Luke is going to declare Paul's story. But what I want to show you is how to present not Paul's story, but how to present your story and The first thing I want you to write down is that it is our job to share the good news And this is for you to hear and do write that down somewhere. This is for me. I am called to share my good news about Christ If you are a child of God, you have been brought into a calling. God has given you the canvas or the painting on your canvas to tell others about the good news of what Christ has done in your life. Now, right away you say, well, I'm not an extrovert like Paul. I don't talk in front of big crowds like you do, Tim. So I'm already knocking myself out of that. I've not been gifted with the gift of evangelism. And I just want to remind you, that there are people who are gifted with mercy. And I don't have that gift. So does that mean I can be devoid of all mercy? Well, I don't have that gift, God. So I can be a jerk to people. No, what it means is some people have extraordinary mercy that God's going to use to change lives in a very unique way. And we need to be excited about that and see people and, and appreciate what they're doing. But all of us are called to mercy. God says that we're all to be givers. But God says that there are certain people that are given the gift of great generosity. Does that mean that we can sit back and watch those generous people provide and and contribute to the work of the Lord? No, we're all called to it. So yes, there are evangelists who are called to do it. But every one of us, whether we think so or not, God has called us to share our story of God's life change in our lives to the world around us. Now, we get to... Use our gifts and our abilities and our personality we don't need to be something. We're not we don't need to be the Apostle Paul in it But notice what I'm going to share with you are things that will help anybody no matter if you're an evangelist or not number one Find common ground with people in verses 1 through 5 Paul Does all kinds of things that tries to connect himself to his audience? number one he calls them brothers and fathers Number two, he speaks now listen. He's speaking to a group of people that wanted to kill him just a moment ago He speaks with respect. He speaks with clarity And he speaks honestly about what's going on. He says listen I'm a Jew and he begins to talk about how he was raised up and how he lived He's honest about how he felt about Christ before coming to Christ He talks about his sin He addresses it and he does so doing what? To tell him, listen, to tell the group, listen, I'm not better than you. I'm not wiser than you. I'm not more holy than you are. And we need to be very careful ourselves these days that we don't create such a dichotomy between us and the sinful world around us. And we begin to do that when we talk about how ugly sin is. And when we try to fix it by saying, well, we hate the sin, not the sinner. Really? really Because usually when we say that our disgust is towards the person or the people that are involved in the sin Or we say to something like this. I don't know how people can do such a thing. Really? Are you not a sinner do you not know the pervasiveness of sin Maybe you didn't deal with that, but there's some ugliness in all of our lives that we need to recognize that God has rescued us from. And have we been saved so long that we have forgot what it means to be a sinner in need of God's grace? Paul is talking to a group of people that hated him, and he seeks to find common ground. He doesn't seem to agitate him. He doesn't give zingers to what's going on. He speaks calmly. Because he wants to connect with the people he did this earlier in acts 17 when he speaks to the men in athens He wants to make common ground notice the second thing when you share the good news of Christ about how Christ has changed you state the facts Every time that we see Paul share his story he shares the same facts who I was before Christ How I met Christ, and what Christ called me to after meeting him. Paul does not, even though he's got an incredible story, he does not sit there and embellish or exaggerate. He doesn't start with the fish was this big, and then the next time he tells it, the fish was this big, and the next time he says it, the fish was this big. And we need to be careful, especially those who have had significant stories of life change, we need to state the facts. We need to articulate very clearly and not vacillate with one a story at one time and then another story another time. He states the facts as you'll see in the text and you'll see it now three times and Luke is an eyewitness that each time he shared the same thing. When we share Christ we need to focus on Christ not ourselves. We need to focus on Christ, not ourselves. Paul talks about what's going on, but the key character in the story is not Paul. The key character in your story of life change is not you. It's not me. It's God. It's Christ! Christ is the one who was doing the work behind the scenes before you believed. It was Christ who determined the moment He was going to appear to you and reveal Himself to you, wherever you were on your road to Damascus. It was Christ who is the one who changed you and gave you new life in Him. It is Christ in His Spirit that now indwells you, and allows you to live for Him and serve Him and honor Him in all that you say and do. Christ is the reason. Christ is the center of the message. And so when you preach Christ, don't preach like you picked yourself up by your own bootstraps. You were blind, dead, and held captive by the evil one. And Jesus Christ alone set you free. We need to focus on Him. He's the star of the show. We need to be ready for a fight. In verses... 1 through 21 Paul shares his story, and they're listening. They're hushed. Everything is fine And then Paul says Listen, they haven't even caused a stir all the stirring they stop and they're not caused by a stir and he says to them that Ananias told him in verse 21, Go, God says, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And notice where verse 22 says, Up to this word they listened to him, and then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a man from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. When we share the good news of Jesus Christ, because it is good news for us, it does not always mean it will be good news for everyone else. And there will be things that we will say there will be stances that we take that the world will say away with you crazy person And we need to be ready for that And I want you to notice that Paul doesn't retort with angry words Paul doesn't respond with all kinds of things We don't get a response from Paul at all Paul recognized not everybody's gonna believe and that's okay. My job is to get Christ proclaimed to a lost world And he shares the story. Let me ask you when was the last time you shared your story of life change Who around you has not heard they work with you they live with you they uh, live in the same neighborhood They go to the same school and attend the same classes, and they have no idea that you have been changed by Jesus Christ This is a story that we should be telling over and over and over again We need to be ready to share the good news Finally and this is a very short point so don't lose heart We get in this sharing of the good news, two verses, really it's about three verses, three verses that help us to understand how to spend our lives. We need to know our role. We need to know our place. And in the passage that Paul talks about, he shares something that I think is incredibly helpful for us as we leave this place this morning. In the passage it says in verse 14 of chapter 22, And he said, and this is again Paul, God speaking through Ananias, he says, The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from His mouth. For you will be a witness for Him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise up and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on His name. I Bring you back to the quote that I started with are you the empty canvas that God is painting his picture? Well, let me ask you a question this morning You will know if you are an empty canvas a blank canvas being ready to receive the colors God has for you As you are living out these four things number one. Are you longing to know the will of God? Are you longing to know the will of God the God our Father appointed you to know his will? God wants you to know his will His will for you to live upright his will for you to be holy his will for you to be in relationship with his son Are you pursuing do you see as the greatest knowledge in the world to know the will of God that sets us free Are you busy doing your will and your plans and your prerogatives and your desires? You are then the artist God says I want you to long to know my will Number two, are you a blank canvas? Well, let me ask you. Are you looking to Jesus? It says that you will see the righteous one. You'll see Jesus are your eyes so much on yourself in the painting that you're painting of your life that you miss out on Jesus or? Do you wake up each day saying Jesus? I want to see you Jesus? I want to see you work in my life Jesus. I want to see you at work in the lives of the people around me Jesus I want to see you at work in the opportunities that you lay before me You're an empty canvas when you are looking to Jesus always You're an empty canvas when you listen to His Word, notice, and to hear a voice from His mouth so that you might be a witness. Listen, this is very important as I close. You know if you are listening to the Word of God if you are then witnessing to that listening that you've done. Does that make sense? You take in what you hear, and God says listening doesn't just involve you taking in information. It is you sharing that information with someone else. Notice what he says. He says that you will hear the voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. So you see God move in your life you see God changing people and you take that and you share it with others Because that's what listening involves it is not just hearing something, but taking what you hear and doing it and finally it means living obediently and Paul said or Paul is told Why now do you wait? rise and be baptized Wash away your sins and call, by calling on his name I'll just say this very quickly this morning The book of Acts is really really clear That if you call yourself a child of God, the number one step of obedience, the number one step, the first step of obedience is not that you run away from sexual immorality or you uh, don't have issues with your mouth with regards to sin or or being unkind to people. The number one step for every person that has called upon the name of the Lord is to be baptized. And if you're a child of God, listen, what I'm saying very clearly, if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are on your way to heaven already because you have called upon the name of the Lord and been saved, then God says the first thing that Christians ought to do is be baptized. And I want to say with all grace and love and humility that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and never been baptized, you are walking in disobedience to your God and what do I say the same thing that God does why do you wait why do you wait Obey God take that first step of obedience and obey him. And why would he want us to start there? Because in baptism we are witnesses of the life change of what God has done to a watching world around us God has allowed us to take the colors he's painting So that we might show the picture of what God is painting on the canvas that we call our lives And we need to show that canvas to the world and see, look at what God is painting. Look at what God is drawing with my life. Can I show you, can I declare to you how God wants to do the same in your life? Are you looking to know His will? Are you uh, longing to know His will? Are you looking to Jesus? Are you listening to His word? And are you living obediently, especially with regards to baptism? It is then and only then that we will be the picture God wants us to be. We need to know our role in the good, the bad, and ugly of life. Let's pray that we will live that role out in the days to come.